Hey, everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and today's one of those interesting experiences for me. My guest today is Steve Wilcox. He is a graduate of Chapman University in Orange County, California. After school, he began working with global action sports brands such as Oakley, Quicksilver, DC Shoes, and Roxy, where he developed a fundamental understanding of brand building and the strategies required to authentically reach a brand's audience. Today, Steve is the founder and CEO of Parkit, an outdoor brand that wants you to get outside and enjoy the exploration. Parkit's first product, an outdoor chair that they call Voyager, launched on Kickstart during the peak of COVID-19. Despite the restrictions on outdoor activities, Parkit raised over $500,000 in pre-order sales in less than 60 days and is now preparing for their formal debut in 2021 and a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand. Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, Rob, thank you so much for having us. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Listen, what you're, what you're doing is really a cool thing because to me... It's about finding the combination of what you are passionate about and what you see as, you know, your life work. And you've kind of found a, a niche there that takes both of them, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it, was a, it was always a challenge for me specifically. Like I, I actually went to school originally for finance. I thought I was going to become a, a Wall Street guy and, and do the stock market and all that fun stuff. And uh, I got my first job at a bank and quickly realized that, like, this isn't how I wanted to spend 40 hours a week. Um, I wanted to spend right. it doing what I love to do. And, you know, that's where I started to steer my career towards marketing and was fortunate to land in a couple epic action sports brands and um, always kind of knew that entrepreneurship would be a step for me at some point. And uh, I read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek and realized that there's an element called lifestyle design that Tim Ferriss talks about in that book. Right. where you marry, you know, your passions and your work. Um, and it allows you to, to really dive in 110% into what you're doing. And, and being an outdoor brand and an outdoorsman myself, you know, like uh, my garage is littered with surfboards, fishing poles, snowboarding equipment, you name it, it's all there. Um, we really get to do what we love to do. And we also get to grow a business and build a community around all of it. So it's super exciting what we're doing at Park It. Yeah, it's, that's exactly, it's basically what you're doing is you're, I, I think, as I'm reading, as I read about Parkit, um, what I read that kind of intrigued me is you're looking at the problems that are faced by people who have the same interests that you do, right? And you're looking, how do I create a solution to a problem that I'm experiencing and that people like me are experiencing, right? So can you tell me a little bit about what was the problem that you were experiencing? And then maybe we can get into the path to find a solution to that problem. Yeah. So, you know, um, our first product is called the Voyager outdoor beach chair, camping chair all around. Like, you know, it's, it lives in the back of your truck. And when you're doing actual activities, it's what you've got to, to sit in and enjoy the time that you're spending outside with people. Um, the way that we kind of came across, you know, the, the, the light bulb moment that said, this is what we're going to build as our first product was, um, you know, just very natural and organic for us. Uh, one of my best friends, um, he launched a direct-to-consumer watch brand probably four years ago. And I remember like we're, we're hanging out at a, at a campsite, camping and surfing in San Onofre, California. And um, he's telling me the story of his direct-to-consumer watch brand. And I'm like, I can do this. I can absolutely build a direct-to-consumer brand. Um, but I just need to figure out a product. Right. I'm not kidding. Like two hours later, we're sitting around the campfire. And he goes to sit down in his chair. 
and the whole thing just rips and he falls straight through it to the bottom and it's it was hilarious when it happened and it was kind of like one of those moments when you were in elementary school and one of the, your your classmates rocked too far back in their chair and they fell and everyone caused a big commotion and i kind of like immediately saw the moment of wait a minute like these have been poorly built for decades they've been used like very cheap materials um companies that are building these products are kind of just doing a race to the bottom who can provide it for the cheapest there's no one out there that's really building it in a in a durable um or they're building it with durability as kind of the focal point of what what the product should be they're, they're building it to be replaced every every season and i saw basically they to go this is what we love to do we spend a lot of time sitting in these chairs i often find that they're rather discomfort like uncomfortable um, they lack functionality that i actually would want you know like some of them don't even come with cup holders um, some of them the coolers are located in a position that's hard to reach and I just thought we can build a better one. And uh, we spent about two years designing and refining and building prototypes. And that ultimately got us to the Voyager the way that you guys see it now on Kickstarter and our website. And, uh, you know, just organically kind of came to us. And this is the problem. We've been sitting around these campfires. These are poorly built. Our friend just fell through one and let's build a better one. So, you know, it's funny when I read the name of your company, it took me immediately back to elementary school, not in terms of what you were talking about with somebody sitting in a chair and leaning back too far and then falling over, but we had a substitute teacher and whenever someone was up out of their chair, she would always give them the exact same expression, which was swing it and park it. Um, you know? And so what you're, what you're looking at is a place literally just to park it. Now, are you, is the company only about chairs? Do you have a vision for broadening that out? Or what is the, what's kind of the vision of the Parkit brand? Yeah. So great question. Um, in terms of products, um, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of it. We still have a lot of things that we have to learn and a lot of things that we have to refine and, and really optimize around in terms of the systems and strategies that we build to be a successful business beyond just Kickstarter and beyond just our first year. You know, like that's like, Someone told me after the Kickstarter campaign, they're like, the real work starts now. And that couldn't have been more true. Like I'm a marketer and a brander and a front end sales guy. And the creative things that that lead to that moment are what I've always been good at. And that's always been a lot of fun. And now I'm learning all the logistics part pieces of the puzzle that have to come into play. And it's just like rapid fire. Like, here's a problem with this. Here's an issue here. And so that's definitely been um, a challenge for us. And so at the moment, we're specifically focusing on being a chair company. Um, and building the ultimate outdoor chair and making sure that that product is the the best product that people can get their hands on. From a brand perspective, um, we really value, you know, from a brand, our mission is not necessarily to build the best outdoor chair. Our mission is to bring together a community of people who share similar values and share similar experiences, um, and even people from completely different walks of life and create that environment around a campfire or tailgating in a parking lot where you're using our products to facilitate a story and to facilitate an engagement with one another that's tangible, that's in the real world, that's away from social media. And we bring back together that simple, hey, I'm Steven, you reach out with a handshake and a beer, let's sit down and learn about one another and build that community and, and bring together, you know, a positive for society through our products, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense because what you're talking about though is, yes, you designed it with a specific end user in mind, which would be someone similar to you, but I'm, I'm envisioning the fact that yeah, you're, you've got people that are sitting on the beach and need a good chair, but you've also got, as you mentioned, people that are tailgating. I, listen, my kids played sports and getting a quality chair to sit in 
at a sporting event, uh, you know, is it's an issue, um, mm-hmm. especially you know like little league and outdoor soccer and all that kind of stuff. You, and so what you're doing then is you're providing you're providing a a piece of equipment. But I love that concept that it goes beyond just the chair itself, just the product, and you're looking at building a community, and that's that's a cool thing, man. So how did you kind of how did you get that perspective? Because I'm imagining that at the beginning, it's kind of like nose to the grindstone, like you've, you're nose to paper, and you're looking at the chair. How do we make a better chair? How do we how do we make this product be as good as it can be? How did you take that step back to get the bigger picture and say it's actually about more than the chair so that's a great question um it initially was a brand first um for me like my background i'm basically a walking billboard i wear oakley's every day i wear van shoes every day i wear levi jeans every day and brands have always been something that for me have inspired a lot of the experiences that i've had um i've been very fortunate in the sense that like between the different jobs that i've had in life like they've all ended kind of in unique circumstances where there was a window of two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks before my next position was going to start. And so I took advantage of that time and, and being an outdoors person, like I was traveling to Indonesia for a month and a half to surf waves. I was driving a car around Australia for three weeks. Um, those experiences in my life don't happen without the Quicksilvers and the Billabongs and the Hurleys and the Oakleys and the Nikes that present like this type of inspiration in these stories. Um, and so for me, it was always about how do I engage with people and kind of inspire people to take these types of leaps of faith and, and go on these trips. And because for me, those trips were where I learned more about myself than I think I ever would have learned in a classroom mm. and more than I ever would have learned sitting in the desk, um, working with my team on the next goals. I got to really learn about like, the different cultures and the different problems and the way that these different cultures solve these problems and how you can then go to Europe and you're surfing in the Southwest of France and you go get food there and you learn about a completely different way of solving that problem. And so for me, it was always about like, how do we get and inspire people to go out and do these types of things? And so it was just a matter of trying to marry that mindset with a product for me. It wasn't necessarily, Hey, we need to build a product and then build a brand around it we built a brand first and found a product that suited that need. And that's kind of the, the way that that formulation came together. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And, and I love the idea. You know, it's, it's kind of funny to me that you're talking about doing the traveling and doing the surfing uh, during COVID. One of the first movies that I got my kids to sit down and watch was endless summer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just it, because I, it was a, an amazing concept, a really cool idea of, um, two guys going around the world and experiencing surf in different countries, experiencing different cultures. And um, little did I know that here comes Stephen Wilcox onto my show to talk about like, yeah, that's basically kind of what I did while I was waiting in between jobs. What a great, what a great story. And then I think the other piece that you mentioned that really is, is important to me is that constant learning experience that no matter where you go and no matter what you're experiencing, it's always an opportunity to learn about, learn about how other people solve problems, learn about other ways of looking at problems and other ways of finding solutions that that's got to be a really both an eye opening experience, but also like a, a way to develop your problem solving toolbox. Does, does that make sense at all? 
Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to my mother there. Like my mom's a first and second grade teacher. Um, and so when you're raised by a teacher, I feel that everything that you're exposed to from the age of basically like two years old until you, you graduate and go off to college is you're basically taught to learn everything. There's a lesson to be learned from everything. Um, there's sometimes in, you know, relationships with friends and family and even my girlfriend where I'll be like, well, what did you learn from that? She's like, I didn't want to learn anything from that. I just wanted to vent. And then, you know, like, so there's, there's funny things like that, where I'm always in that mindset of like, well, what did I learn? What did I learn? And the lessons that I learned from all those travels and none more, I feel like than, than persistence and problem solving, because when you find yourself in a, in a third world country, 14,000 miles away from home. Um, and you take the wrong turn on a scooter and you you drive for about 45 minutes and you, you suddenly are not in the area you need to be. And there's a definite language barrier and you've got to figure out how to get out of it and you got to figure out where to go. And, you know, like you kind of discover this mindset of just, well, it needs to be done. And I, like, I hate to make it sound so simple, but it, it's a little bit of like a Nike mindset of like a just do it. Like, oh, you made a wrong turn and you ended up in this problem. But what are you going to do to get out of it? Well, you can't complain. You can't call anybody because you typically don't have a cell phone that works in any of those areas of the world either. And so you just have to do it and you just have to solve it. And, um, you know, there's a, there was a story where I, I'll never forget this. I was on an island of Indonesia called Sambawa and I pull up to the, the hostel that I'm supposed to stay at. And um, I'm hoping that the guy has a credit card machine that I can use to at least pay for my hostel stay. And I show up and he's like cash only. And I'm like, I don't have any cash. He's like, well, then you can't stay here. It's six o'clock in the evening. The sun's setting. The closest ATM is two hours away. Um, I don't have a motorbike yet. And, the, and you know, I walk out and kind of to this area that I'm like, well, this hut looks like it might work for the night. And then I can get a motorbike tomorrow and go figure it out. And this, this guy from Holland comes over. And is like, hey, um, I heard the conversation. Do you need a motorbike? And like the problems and the solutions start to start to reveal themselves. And, you know, three, four hours later, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm driving around on a scooter on a dirt road back from the ATM in this town called Dompu. Like trying to figure out, am I making the right turns to at least get back to this area called Lakey Peak where I'm supposed to stay? Right. And I get there. And I just like, I look back on it now and I look at some of the problems that I face starting this business and, and getting the product design and we'll get into all of that type of stuff. And there's so many times where I'm like relating back to that story. And I'm like, you had no idea where you were. You had no idea where you were going. You just had to trust your gut, your intuition and push forward. And those types of experiences through travel really relate to what it's like to be an entrepreneur on your own, building your idea into an actual company. Yeah, there's two things that I want to kind of highlight. Number one, I feel your pain. I was also raised by a teacher. Um, my dad was a math teacher. And so as I was growing, I had never actually put up, uh, put the, the concepts together. But I think that he taught me to be a lifelong learner and to, to just whatever you're going through, what can you learn from that experience? Uh, thank you for opening my eyes to my own experience and my own life. But the other thing is that the vulnerability of sharing the fact that you don't have all the answers and that uh, is, is a huge thing. You can't get solutions to problems that you're not willing to admit that you have, uh, you know, you're, you're basically, you're, you're talking. And if you, if your pride gets in the way and the guy from Holland is like, I heard you had a problem. You're like, yeah, I'm from America. We don't have problems. We only have solutions. I, I figured it out by myself. You get nowhere and you end up sleeping in the park. Right. But mm -hmm. being willing to say, yeah, I've got problems. I've got issues. I need help. I don't know how to get there. That's when, that's when 
relationships are built, that's when other people can feel a value of being willing to, to share with you. So I, I would imagine you mentioned this and I'd imagine that as you're starting this company, you're one of the biggest problems that just about every startup faces is funding. So mm -hmm. tell me, tell me a little bit about the process of how did you decide to do crowdfunding? Did what kind of research went into that? But how did you get to, to that point of addressing that problem? Yep. No, great segue. And so, you know, um, in terms of park it and funding, gosh, funding is, I feel like, uh, if anybody is an entrepreneur listening to this podcast and you have not read the book shoe dog by Phil Knight, um, you need to go read it. Uh, it's about his entire process of basically like starting Nike before it was even called Nike all the way to their IPO. And I read this book, um, as I was starting to kind of dive into the product design and I remember reading it going, all right. So Phil Knight basically had like a 20 to 25 year long cash flow problem. Um, and it's kind of where I had the acceptance of, well, this is, this is the nature of the game. You're going to have cash flow problems. You're going to have to figure out ways to solve these cash flow issues. And, um, the reason why, you know, crowdfunding for our park it and you know, crowdfunding is really kind of, it's really new in, in the scope of the way businesses can go to market and bring themselves about to the marketplace. And um, one of the beauties of it is one, you get your product validated before you invest in a huge production run in a warehouse and bring on any of those types of things. Um, but secondly, um, you can put a lot of your time and resources into building the brand that you that you want your company to stand for. And you get a lot of time to really refine and focus on the product. You're not racing um, necessarily to say, hey, um, Rob, love this idea. I need to get an investor. Do you know anybody? And you're not taking over, you know, you're taking an investment from an investor for 500,000. That's funding X amount of inventory. You have to get all that inventory into a warehouse and then you start selling, right? Well, now you've taken a huge risk on 500K. Um, what crowdfunding does is it allows you to really get that money up front with a group of people who believe in the mission, believe in the idea. They don't take any equity in the business. Um, they're basically pre-ordering the product on the premise that they're going to get it, you know, three to six, sometimes even 12 months down the line from their date of purchase. Um, but you're then able to take those funds and fulfill the promise that you make to those backers and launch your business and do all those steps that typically would require an investor. Um, and so that's one of the things that made crowdfunding really attractive to us. But even before we got into the crowdfunding, there's the challenge of just, all right, how much capital do we have to invest in the design? How much capital do we have to invest in, you know, iterations of design? Um, and that's one of the areas that persistence really took, took its place and, and really was the focal point of what you wake up every day and have to remember is that, um, you know, I was contracting still consistently full time um, with, with upwards of 10 to 15 clients at a time, building websites, shooting, managing email marketing campaigns to keep cash coming in the door to pay my product design firm in Utah to keep moving forward with the product. Um, and so all of those things, you know, we could dive into each of, I've given you a, a lot of topics here that we could dive into, but all of those things come together and that have to just be faced every day with the mindset of, all right, we're just going to do it. And, uh, you got to go and solve them. Yeah. I mean, you've given me a ton of stuff there. And I guess the, the, the question that kind of comes out of that is, are there general concepts that you have learned about crowdfunding by those experiences that, that you can share with others who are considering using that as a, as a way to, to raise funds for whatever venture they're working on? Yeah, definitely. So for anyone considering using crowdfunding to raise funds, there's a, there's a few strategies at play that you want to make sure that you're doing beforehand. 
Um, it's not like you just show up at Kickstarter and you're like, hey guys, we have this cool product and we want to launch this on Kickstarter. And, and the next day you're doing $120,000 in pre-order sales. Um, that, that happens for campaigns because they've put in an incredible amount of legwork beforehand. Um, there's a organization called Launch Boom down here in San Diego that if you're interested in crowdfunding, they actually have a very um, awesome newsletter that they send out and they host webinars that break down a lot of the details of the strategies. So I'll kind of stay a little top, top level for you guys. But ultimately, the pre-launch campaign involves a lot of prep work of building a community up front. And that's where some of the branding, you know, being a brand builder, I understood that um, a lot of people I don't know if that's something that they're intuitively think of. And, and it's one of the things that Launch Boom impresses upon heavily is that as you're launching a campaign and preparing for that, you want to have an email list. You want to have an email list built out about three months, four months, five months in advance, just trickling people in and you give them the welcome. This is our, this is what we stand for. This is who we are. This is the product that's coming. Thank you for signing in, signing up early. You're like one of our earliest community members. And because of that, you're a VIP and we want you to be a part of our Kickstarter campaign. Right. Um, you know, for, for us, for Parkit specifically, like we had an email list of a couple thousand people that we had just organically grown leading up to our Kickstarter campaign through our Instagram channels, through our website that we already had an email subscriber pop up on. And so we were doing all the things we could to build that list as big as we possibly could. Cause the day that we go live, we wanted those people to know, Hey, our mission is coming to life and this is what we're bringing to the table. Um, and you get them lopped into the kind of the system and, and they go through the nurture campaign and, and optimally, you know, you, you'd love to see 50% of them join on the Kickstarter campaign on day one and, and help you hit your goal. And then, and from there, you know, there's other strategies that come into play, but the number one piece is doing the framework up front to get that, that community built and get those people ready and rock and ready to rock and roll on launch day. I, I want to kind of parse something out here a little bit, and maybe you can help me understand. You talked about two things that um, the first thing that you talked or the thing you just talked about is the amount of work that you have to do beforehand. And then earlier in the conversation, you talked about the fact, the amount of work that you have to do after the fact. So mm -hmm. can, can you tell me, because what it sounds to me like is the, the launching the, the Kickstarter and reaching your funding goal, that seems to be like the, I don't know, you know, like that's the hamburger in between the bundle. Like there's, I don't know what the analogy is, but there's hard work on the front end and hard work on the back end that makes what is visible successful. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. And in terms of before the Kickstarter campaign, um, you know, one Kickstarter's a fantastic platform because like I've, I've mentioned this, you know, it gives creators an opportunity to validate their idea before they've taken that huge initial financial risk. Um, but in the weeks leading up to a Kickstarter campaign, like you're building your email list, like I mentioned, you're building your social media. Like I mentioned, you're also designing your product. If you're a product based company, you're, you're putting together the video that you're going to present to the world that says, this is who we are and this is what we stand for. And do you believe in our mission? Um, you're, you're figuring out, okay, are there different ad campaign strategies that we want to do? Um, how do we want to utilize Facebook ads? How do we want to utilize Instagram ads? How do we want to install, uh, utilize Google? Um, and all of those types of things come into play. And, and, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Like you mentioned, like you, we get an email campaign in our inbox from God knows how many companies per day, but there's a graphic designer that along the road knows the calendar that's in line with the marketing director that they've set up to make sure that the experience flow that the person goes through is a journey 
and not like a not like a billboard. And one of the things that's changed in terms of marketing over the last couple of years, from my perspective, is that we are much more experience based um, than we are sales based. And uh, nothing speaks to this more than the way that things used to be done. Um, when you think about, you know, going to spring training or going to a sporting event, Oakley would have this massive RV that you could walk through and you got to like see the technology behind the sunglasses and you got to see the athletes on the wall with all the, the crazy lights and everything. And you go in, it's basically like a carnival ride for sunglasses, right? Right. And you, and you come out of it and you look like you're 14 years old and you look at your dad and you're like, dad, I want those Oakley's like, get me those ones, please, please, please. Those are the ones I want for Christmas. Right. And, and they've done this job. They've done this thing in the tangible marketplace of creating that experience. And in the digital marketplace, it's much more trickier to do because it's, it's realistically, you're just looking at a screen from the consumer standpoint. And so in the pre-work that you're doing leading up to that Kickstarter campaign or your launch on your website or any of those things, you need to be making sure that what you're putting everybody through is an experience. Um, and that's, what's going to give them that engagement with you. And that's where you're bringing your company's values and the brand and all of that to life. And it brings everybody to a position that the day where you want that pivotal moment where you're like, we need people to convert today so we can have the sales to actually turn this into more than just an idea and turn this into a real business. You have to like build up to that moment. And uh, it, it takes an incredible amount of like work and thought process and, and just diving into the way that you have to kind of put yourself. Sorry, guys, I, I live next to a train track and the train's coming by. It'll be just a quick second. But yeah, you, you, you get to this part where where ultimately, you know, the uh, the consumer reaches the, the point where they go, okay, this is the day. This is what we're doing. It could be Black Friday. It could be like New Year's sale. It could be Memorial Day weekend sale. You're building up all this stuff and you have to put yourself in the mindset of the consumer and go, is this something that I want to be a part of? Is this something that I want to engage in? Is it something that I believe in? And if you're able to answer those three questions with three check marks and say thumbs up, then you're opportunities for success are going to be much are going to be expo what's the word exponentially exponential. larger yeah yes exponentially larger and uh, that's the piece of the puzzle that leading up to a kickstarter campaign just takes enormous amounts of thought and and research and just to make sure that everything comes together correctly all right fantastic hey if people are interested in learning more about park it and learning more about the voyager where's the best place for them to find you on the web or social media or, or wherever yeah, so the best place to find us on the web is www.parkitmovement.com. Um, if you search us on Google as Parkit, uh, typically we pop up, pop up pretty quickly. If you search Parkit Share, uh, we pop up pretty quickly. Um, our people will really enjoy our site. I encourage people to check out the About Me, or the not the About Me, but the About Us page, uh, where you can read about our mission and our values and what we stand for as a company and uh, how all of that comes together. Uh, with our products and uh, the partnerships that we have that help give back to society as well. So I think they'll enjoy it. Again, www.parkitmovement.com. Beautiful. And I'll, I'll put a link to that down in the show notes so that folks can find you as easily as possible. Listen, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. I, you've shared a tremendous amount. I feel like I have about 20 more questions I would love to ask you, but we're out of time. So I, at this point, we get to my favorite part of the show. It is time for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you, you ready for these? Yes, hit me with them. All right. Um, tell me, what are the qualities that you look for in the people that you hang out with? Great question. So um, this has changed dramatically over the last seven years. Um, the qualities that I look for now in people are determination, um, confidence, um, and a vision for who they 
want to be in the future um, that they know that they can achieve. Um, it, it doesn't require any other outside force or any any handholding. I look people who are independent uh, free thinkers with those type of confidence about who they are going to become and who they, they aim to be. Beautiful. Uh, what is a dream that you have that you have yet to achieve? A dream that I have to uh, that I have yet to achieve. Um, well, being a, a an outdoors outdoor enthusiast and, and mostly passionate about surfing and snowboarding. I've done a, quite a lot of international surfing. And, and one of the dreams that I have um, for myself is to get into backcountry snowboarding. Um, so I, I'll be signing up for my AVI 1 certification and AVI 2 certifications uh, this winter and uh, planning to really start mapping out the Sierra Mountains and learning what can be hiked and what can be ridden down and, and start riding untracked fresh powder lines uh, throughout the Sierras. Dude, that sounds amazing. Uh, last thing, when you're sitting around the campfire, what is on the menu? Oh, great question. Um, so for me, when I'm sitting around the campfire, um, love, 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 and this is the SoCal guy in me, love um, having like carne asada or chicken tacos or whatever it is that we can grill up and turn it into a taco. Um that's that's my favorite thing to, to eat around the campfire, and then if uh, you know we have to throw a beverage into the mix, uh, hopefully there's a, a nice twelve pack of Modelo in the cooler underneath my chair, and I can pull that right out from the Voyager and and uh, work kick the feet up and enjoy our time around the fire. Excellent. So it's anything that you can grill and yeah. stick in a taco that works. So cool. I, listen, um, I am not a vegetarian. I don't. I don't have a problem with vegetarians, but I was worried that when you went SoCal, you were just going to go like some kind of tofu um, vegan thing, and which, you know, hey, if that's what you do, that's it's all you and it's it's beautiful and that's fine. But I was glad to hear um, you and I at least have the let's grill it and eat it uh, philosophy. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of our, our friends who they come up and they, they come up camping with us and they do bring uh, they do bring a couple alternative things out there. But I am a core taco enthusiast. The, the cheaper and greasier the Mexican food, I find the better it is. So uh, we'll have to have you out here in Southern California for one of our trips and uh, we'll grow up some carne asada for you. That sounds great. Hey, listen, Stephen Wilcox, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate what you've been willing to share. And folks, I encourage you to go check him out. Uh, to all my listeners, I will say thank you again for tuning in today. I hope that you have learned as much as I have. And I will remind you as always that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.